He's a retired law enforcement officer. While he was in the academy, his father, also a law enforcement officer, was murdered in the line of duty. He's here to tell his story, the impact on him, his family, his career, and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Breakout app is an audio networking platform and social networking app all in one. Breakout lets users listen in on live conversations or be a part of the conversation. Get it free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play. Be sure to follow John J. Wiley, the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and Podcast. Use the profile at LET Radio Show, or you can download the app for free at letbreak.com. Calling us from North Carolina, we have Gary Edgerton on the phone. Gary is a retired law enforcement officer. His father was also a law enforcement officer, was a cop, is killed in line of duty while Gary was in the academy. Gary is also a published author, author of the book Outside the Wire. His website is GaryEdgertonAuthor.com. Gary, thanks so much for being a guest on Law Enforcement Today's show. Very much appreciated. Well, thank you. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. And I want to say thank you for your service. I, I've, I'm trying to get better at saying that, and I've gotten working really hard at getting better at saying you're welcome when people say it to me, because I never know how to respond. Well, thank you very much. And, and you know, it's interesting moving out here to North Carolina. I hear that all the time. I never used to hear that in L.A. Do you, do you often, like, not know how to respond to it? Yes, I get embarrassed, actually. That's a funny thing. I do. I've had it more people say to me more since I've been retired. And I remember eating lunch at a diner in Delray Beach, Florida, one day, and I had on t shirt, and it had police and firefighters in the back. And they, the person next to me at the diner said, "Hey, are you a cop?" I said, "I'm retired." And they went, "Thank you for your service." And I was flabbergasted. I had no no idea what to say. Yeah, it, it, it's it's disarming, but it's also very gratifying too. Here's I think why. And before we get into your story. Old cops, I know, we, we are taught, we learn somewhere along the way to stay away from the cameras. And when you hear right. police being interviewed, they do something heroic. They save a life. They, they pull something out of a burning house, a burning car. They do CPR. They save a drowning child, whatever it might be. They stand tall in a gunfight. We never hear about them. What they'll say was, I was just doing what I was trained to do. I was the right place at the right time. I'm no hero. I get that. I really do. But man, the media is quick to jump on police when it's one Bad apple, having one bad moment, they paint everybody with a broad brush. We need to start saying, yeah, here's the great things our law enforcement officers do, because they do it on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of law enforcement officers on duty every single day doing what they're supposed to do. And, you know, there are aberrations in every, every business. There are individuals that misbehave, you know. Yeah, I had someone uh, on our Facebook page. If you go to Facebook, look up Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And it was something, I, I try to do a post daily of something great 
a cop does. And when I say cop, that's a great term. I use a term of endearment. And someone replied, uh, if you have one bad apple and 10 good apples, all 11 apples are bad. I wanted to say really back, well, then by that same logic, Charles Manson was human, so therefore all humans need to be executed. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it makes no sense. It, and we'll start with you. How about that? But here's the truth, Gary. I don't respond to trolls on the internet because there's an old saying, I think it's Mark Twain, never argue with an idiot. They'll just drag you down <laughs> to their level and beat you with experience. So that's why I don't do it. Mark Twain had some great ones. Oh, didn't he? And I always say, I did that. This is a quote for me, especially on social media, because that's all yeah. they do. So you come from a law enforcement background. You did 30 years in law enforcement, but your dad was a cop as well. Correct. Yes. He was. Uh, he did 20-something years in the Coast Guard, went in at age 17 in 1942, which always amazes me because I think about what a goofball I was at age 17, and he was in a war in the Pacific. And he got out in 64 as a senior chief petty officer in the Coast Guard and uh, got hired by the L.A. County Harbor Patrol and went to the Sheriff's Academy and then did his job. Did until, a little, I did a little research on you, Dan. He, uh, he was killed in line of duty uh, September of 1979, correct? He's issuing correct. a parking September ticket 30th. or a moving ticket or something like that. He was a that motorcycle cop. Yes, he. They had a. They had these um, three wheel motorcycles, and they used them. They were used to travel down these breezeways in between buildings right. and narrow areas, um, and that's sort of what he did. He wasn't a motor, you know, like like what we would normally think about, you know. Um, but he rode that three wheel Harley. That's what he had. Well, we had those in our department back in the day when I was a rookie, and we called right. them ice cream trucks. That's what, or ice yeah. cream bikes, because that's what it looked like. The old good humor man type thing on the, the three-wheeled motorcycle with the, the big yeah. container on the back. But exactly, yeah. Your, your dad was killed in the line of duty, and we're going to talk about that in detail in a moment. I've got to say this. This happened while you're in the academy. We're going to talk about your story, how it impacted, how you learned, all that stuff, how it carried with your career. I got to ask you this question, Gary. We all know the threats. We all know the possibilities. I never thought bad stuff would happen to me until the bad stuff did. And then I was shocked. But to know that your dad, who's a cop, was killing a line of duty, how do you you blank that for your mind and do your job? You know, I was asked that the other day. Um, Did I ever consider, you know, hanging it up and, and, and leaving the Academy. And, but I never did. It never occurred to me. Um, I, I just put one foot in front of the other one and just kept moving and, you know, and tried to learn and, and tried to learn from what I knew of what happened to him and better prepare myself in case that did occur. You were a young and man I, when he was killed. Oh yeah. I was, I think 22. And you were in, was it your third week of the academy? You were still rel- relatively new in the academy. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was still in the uh, in the, the torture phase of the academy. <laughs> oh, man, you bring back nightmares. You think about... Yeah, I know. They had such... <laughs> for, here's here's one of the things, too, with social media warriors. I love I'd love to say, if you think you can do a better job, show us how it's done. And by the way, 
a big part of it is, is making through the background check, making through the psychological, getting the academy, make through the first month of the academy. The, right. the physical requirements alone, most people can't can't pass, can't hang with it. But wow. the mental, the amount of schooling you get, and it continues Absolutely. on during your career, it is, I mean, I was up till 1 o'clock in the morning studying. So I'm like, scared to death. I'm not going to make it through this test. I'm not going to make it. I'm, I'm going to get thrown out. I'm going to fired. And all the stress, the stress of the academy that they put you through and to see if you can hack it. And also the stress when you get out in field training and you're riding with a, a, a field training officer. There's a lot of stress there, too. We had uh, three months of, of formalized field, very formalized field training when I when I graduated. And that was in Southern California, correct? Yes, that was with the Manhattan Beach Police Department. I could tell you stories about my FTO. Our our field training was, I think, three weeks. Uh, so it was much shorter as part of the academy process. But one of the things they would do all the time, and then when I was a rookie police on the street, when we had the opportunities, which is rare, they'd pair you up with an old timer. And they would sit there, and you're driving down the street, they'd be driving, and all of a sudden yell, where are we? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> What, what intersection we pass? And they'd say, listen, if I just got shot and I'm bleeding to death and you don't know where we are, you can't help me. And if right. you encounter an emergency and you don't know where you are, you can't help that person. Uh, there's so much yep. that we learned. It was nonstop. We are talking with Gary Edgington. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll return. We're going to talk about the line of duty murdering of his father, who was a police officer, how it impacted him, his career, and much more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo. The free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Law Enforcement Show, returning our conversation with Gary Edgington. Gary is a retired law enforcement officer, did 30 years in law enforcement. His dad, who was also a career law enforcement officer, was killed in the line of duty in 1979 during Gary's third week in the academy. By the way, his dad was Harold L. Edgington, Corporal, the L.A. County Harbor Patrol. Gary, before we end the break, we we're talking about field training. And one of the things that, that my field training officers would do, and also the, the senior officers would yell at you, where are you? Where are you? Quick. And it'd be out of nowhere. And uh, I'm still to this day, I drive on the street and I could tell you, I subconsciously check out the street signs just so I know where I'm at. You went through the same thing and you're on the other side of the country. Oh my gosh. Yes. When you, it's, when you started to lead in with that, that statement, I knew exactly where you were going. And I could envision this dark little alley in the middle of the 
darkest part of Manhattan Beach. And that that first time that he did that to me and I had to get out of the car and run back to the corner and look at the street signs and then run back to him and tell him what it was. All out of breath and stuff. Yeah. Uh, It was like having a pop quiz in high school you weren't prepared for. Or one you knew oh, yeah. was coming, you didn't study. You're like, oh my goodness, I don't want to get caught. So, even to this day, I could tell you the last intersection I passed, and I may not be one hundred percent accurate, but I'm pretty close to where I was. So, I want to go back to you. Your your third week of the academy. Your dad is an active duty, long term police officer with L.A. County Harbor Patrol. Uh, before going to the academy, was did you have a calling for law enforcement, or was it a family tradition? How did you get the bug? I got the bug, I think, from uh, from him. And then also, you know, watching Police Story and Adam 12, uh, you know, and Dragnet and all that stuff. And just kind of found myself being drawn towards it, you know. I'm sure you, uh, Police Story was one of my favorite shows at oh, that yeah. time period. I thought it was so, so good, you know, and uh, I loved it. And um, and because it showed a human side to things much more so than 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 Adam 12. And uh, so I think that's really kind of what dragged me to it. I was heavily influenced. First, I went to a seminary. I want to be a priest. And then I decided that I didn't have that vocation. But police works what I want to do next. And I was heavily influenced by reading the books of Joseph Wamba and his television series and things of that nature. And. I got the bug, and I was something. No, my f- direct family was involved in police work, unlike you. I want to do. I remember telling my dad, and he said, "I don't want to be a priest anymore." He's like, "All right, what do you want to do?" I said, "I want to be a cop." He almost had a heart attack. He's like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" Um, so I'm Irish Catholic immigrant, uh, grandson of immigrants, and they're like that's stereotypical. But uh, I loved right. it until it didn't love me anymore. Uh, you managed yeah. to do thirty years. You went in the academy. Your dad had been a longtime police officer for L.A. County Harbor Patrol. He's working the three-wheeled motorcycle gig. He's doing uh, a traffic ticket, and he's attacked by what's described as a mentally deranged person. Can you tell us more about that? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's kind of a – so many of these things are – it was a kind of a convergence of all kinds of coincidence um, because I remember uh, the – this individual was somebody who kind of lost his lost his mind several months prior to that or several years prior to that and um, became an active shooter. I don't think he hurt anybody, but my father was involved in that arrest. And I remember my father talking about it. And uh, and then the Friday night or Thursday night before I started the academy, I went to go visit him that evening and he was. He was talking to me, and at the same time, he was the acting watch commander, and he was in the dealing with this, you know, obviously whacked out dude that was calling on his radio, asking um, for uh, a tow back into the into the harbor, and my dad couldn't, you know, do it because they had other things going on from our pressing, and but this guy was like clearly, you know, whacked, and it turns out that was the guy who. Um, killed my father. So, uh, my father had already had contact with him at that point. And on, um, on a Sunday morning on uh, September 30th, 1979, he was writing a ticket on a, um, a a rental truck that was, uh, that was parked illegally. And, um, this individual, um, I don't know if you want me to say his name or not, uh, but 
I, I don't. I don't okay. believe in giving anybody any publicity that's bad stuff, regardless well, of the reason I'm why. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. So anyway, so this individual um, starts screaming and ranting at the top of his lungs. Uh, You've got a gun. Shoot me. And he has a buck knife in his hand and the blade is extended. And my dad um, sees him and um, uh, starts backpedaling. um, And as as the individual is approaching him, uh, my dad uh, had remember, remember the old brake front holster. Oh, yeah. Um, my dad had a break front, which I don't think he practiced with a lot, unfortunately. And he pulled the gun out slowly and deliberately as opposed to, you know, breaking it out quickly. And so it kind of came out slowly at the same time, the individual broke into a run and went around the motorcycle. My dad had placed himself, placed the motorcycle between him and the, and the suspect, but the guy ran around the motorcycle and, uh, my dad fired one shot. Um, at about 15 feet or so and hit the suspect in the hip. Um, and, uh, he jumped on my father and, uh, stabbed him in the chest and, um, and then proceeded to, I mean, basically butcher him. Um, he cut his right carotid artery and my father bled out. Uh, and then he took my dad's gun and went to a neighboring, um, what we used to call a kitty beach, um, there and was still ranting. Of course, he's covered in blood from his own wound and from my father. And, um, he takes the gun and he starts pounding on, uh, like a stanchion that was there. And I think he even emptied the gun at one point. Um, and then he continued walking and then somebody, a passerby picked up the radio on my dad's bike and, you know, put out, you know, officer needs help. There's an officer down. And so two um, sheriff's deputies and the Harbor Patrol officers uh, responded and um, they confronted um, the suspect uh, at a, uh, a bike rental place and he slashed at them and they fired uh, a shot and uh, and then they chased him across uh, the street into a vacant lot and uh, dumped him. There's so much about this this story, and, and I'll, I'll get into your your personal experience. And I appreciate you telling us that. I know it's not easy for you, even all these years later. That was 1979. There's still things I, I have difficulty talking about that happened in the sure. 1980s. So, Gary, I do yeah. appreciate that. One of the sure. things that we were taught early on, and this goes contrary to so much that's being put out there, is we wanted people to stay 21 feet away especially if they had a, a knife. You said your dad put the motorcycle between him and the suspect. The suspect had a knife, and people are always saying, well, why didn't you shoot him somewhere else? Well, your dad shot him in the hip, which should not be a fatal wound, and the guy still was able to close 15 feet, even though he was shot and stabbed and killed your dad. This is a Law Enforcement yeah. Today show, and we're turning our conversation with Gary Edgington. We're going to talk about how he found out, the impact on him, his family, his law enforcement career, the academy, and much more. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Imagine if you were one of the first on social media or on social audio apps. Here's your chance to be one of the first on the free breakout app that combines the best of social audio and social media. 
Get it at letbreak.com. There's a free version for your iPhone and Android devices. Be sure to follow John J. Wiley of the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and Podcast. Use the profile at LET Radio Show. Get it for free at letbreak.com or at the App Store and Google Play. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Return conversation with Gary Edgington. Gary is a retired law enforcement officer from Southern California. Did 30 years in law enforcement. His father, also a career law enforcement officer, Corporal Harold Edgington of the L.A. County Harbor Patrol, was murdered in line of duty in September of 1979 when Gary was new in the police academy, as we'll call it. Before we went to break, Gary, you're talking about the incident when your dad was killed. And two things I got to talk about, because I remember getting that break front holster, and I remember having to practice with it. And the reason we got that holster, many of us, that wasn't issued to us, was because it was much harder for a suspect to get the gun out from behind. There was a certain way you had to bring it out. Even back in 1980, when I started, in 1981, I was in four shootings in 10 years. The first two, I never fired back. Second two were longer, and everybody survived, thank goodness. But none of them matches what the media says. And even back then, the media and their coverage of officer use of force was always negative towards police. And we were always told about it. We were always talking about it. And it's like, you don't want to, you never want to be the guy, man or woman, who had to pull the gun and use it on someone, ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Does that play a part in your dad's death, do you think? Oh, my gosh, yes. I'm glad you asked me that question because there's a whole other aspect to this. Besides the equipment and training, um, that happened. I actually had breakfast with my father that morning um, because I had done, uh, in the academy, we had to do a weekend ride along, and I'd done a, a graveyard shift uh, in patrol with my uh, with a training officer at Manhattan Beach. So I came home from that at like 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. He was getting ready to go to work. We sat down. We talked. I talked to him about having to handle some, you know, what we call 415, which is basically disturbing the peace drunks out of control and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, talking about use of force and everything. We talked about the Eula Love shooting, which was a, a big controversy in Los Angeles because basically – um, two LAPD officers uh, were confronted by a, a woman with armed with a butcher knife, and they shot her uh, as she threw the knife at them. And um, what the media tried to portray was that was that LAPD was actually there to collect on a gas bill, which was not the case. They were actually investigating an assault with a deadly weapon because the gas company employee had been there before that, and she'd hit him in the head with a, with a shovel. And so naturally, they're they're investigating an assault with a deadly weapon on a gas company employee. But the L.A. Times and other news media uh, portrayed it as they were there to collect a um, on, on a gas bill. Even though it wasn't and, factually uh, true, it became fact because it was reported by the news media. Absolutely. And and believe it or not, um, a, a, an individual who was on the police commission who later became a judge said he didn't understand why the officers didn't let the knife just bounce off of their vests. Which to me is like, I mean, that's like from another planet to make a comment like that. But so I know that my father, that impacted my father's reaction time because we had talked about that that morning. We talked about dealing with an individual who's armed with a knife. And three hours later, here he is faced with an individual armed with a knife, a buck knife, not a butcher knife. You know, and the buck knife is like three and a half, four inch blade. 
Um, and uh, I know that went through his mind. That plus the fact he dealt with this guy before. The guy had him in my dad's business card and in his, in, in, you know, on him. So I know those thoughts went through his mind as he was trying to deal with this situation. So much of this is, I hate to use the word eerie because most police shootings, and I'm no expert, or where police are killed or attacked, they don't even know the person. Yeah. When I look back and, and go, the people who shot at me, Gary, I'm like shocked. I had an initial response of, you don't even know me. Why are you trying to kill me? Uh, we right. never met before. So yes. this guy, your dad had actually a couple prior dealings with. Was your dad targeted by this individual? No. And actually, um, there was another witness um, to the incident that actually felt that she was being targeted by the suspect and that my dad um, um, actually saved her life. And she was found by uh, a lieutenant with the sheriff's department who was doing um, research into old, old um, uh, you know, incidents where uh, law enforcement officers had lost their lives. And he interviewed this, this, this woman who was a young lady at the time teaching sailing there. And um, he, uh, he, he, he shed all kinds of new light onto what had happened that was really fascinating and entirely plausible given the circumstance. So you, this happened on the front Sunday. You had to be yeah, in the Sunday. academy. Beautiful Sunday in Southern California. The, the following Monday, you're supposed to be in the academy. This is your third week. Yes. When did you yes. find out? How did you find out? How did your family get notified? Well, I, I can tell you exactly what happened. I woke up about 1130 uh, that morning, and I walked into the kitchen, and the phone rang. And I picked up the phone. And it was one of my dad's partners. And he said, hey, he said, uh, and he was just so calm and so you know, betrayed no emotion. Um, he said, your dad has been injured and he's at uh, Marina Mercy Hospital. Can you get there? And of course, obviously I did. And I said, did he roll his motorcycle? And he said, no, he didn't roll his motorcycle, um, but he's been injured. So, you know, go to the hospital. So I jump in my truck and the hospital's like three miles away and I get there and I'm greeted by a uh, LAPD beach patrol officer who, you know, of course, everybody converged, LAPD, Venice Pacific Division officers and highway patrol and sheriffs and everybody. And the beach patrol officer was waiting there for me and he put his arm on me. I'm sorry. And he said, uh, your dad's gone. And he said, uh, uh, but we know that he, he got a shot into him and that's what killed him, what's ki what killed the suspect. And, you know, I mean, he was trying to help me, you know, obviously. And so um, and then other guys came and, you know, I remember, you know, in the emergency room, you know, there's a there was a corner and there was a curtain drawn and there I saw I saw. Uh, my dad's boots and uh, a towel, uh, you know, folded neatly. And so I know he was behind that curtain. Uh, he expired, you know, probably before he got to the hospital. And um, so then, 
they drove me back home and then my mom and sister came home and of course I had to tell I had to tell them and I can still hear my sister shriek and my mom going no no I want to see him I want to see him you know and of course that wasn't possible you had to notify your mom and sister yeah yeah I did yeah and um you know, of course, they were with me, and uh, I can still remember my mom getting out of the car and looking at my dad's partner, Bob, and saying, Bob, why are you here? And he says, oh, Donna, it's, we just wanted to come by and say hi, and just trying to get her in the house. You know, my mom is like, you know, she's pretty sharp, and, you know, she could smell BS a mile away, and so she had a feeling something was up. And so I said, Mom, you guys sit down. I have to tell you something. And... And then when I said it, she said, did he have a heart attack? And uh, I said, no, mom. I said, you know, he was killed. Somebody killed him. And I don't remember if I told her how it happened at that point. But, um, you know, I mean, we were all like, you know, in a complete state of shock. We're going to turn to our conversation with Gary Edgerton in just a moment. Gary is a retired law enforcement officer in Southern California. His father, career law enforcement officer, was killed in the line of duty, murdered. When Gary was in his third week of the academy, he's also author of the book Outside the Wire. You can get more details about Gary and his book at GaryEdgingtonAuthor.com. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Take a short break. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Return to our conversation with Gary Edgington on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Gary is retired law enforcement officer, did 30 years in law enforcement in Southern California. His father... A career police officer for L.A. County Harbor Patrol was murdered in line of duty in September 1979. He's author of the book Outside the Wire, and his website is GaryEdgingtonAuthor.com. Gary, before we run the break, I appreciate you so much telling us what happened. You, you said you apologize for getting emotional. There's no apologies needed. My dad died of cancer 29 years ago, and... The old saying is time heals all wounds. I don't believe it does. I think we just get more used right. to things. Right. I still get upset when I think about him. Yeah. And if I'm forced to talk about that day when he died, I don't think I could. And so no apologies needed. That's, that's I think, a normal human reaction. And people need to understand our law enforcement officers are human. And they have families. And they have their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their fathers, their aunts, their uncles. And it's not just the officer that's killed. It's something that impacts the entire community, the city, and especially their family. Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't matter how many years go by. I don't think it gets easier. I really don't. No, no. And we now, we see so many. And we see, uh, you know, uh, an uptick in in ambushes of police officers, you know, uh, that, you know, I mean, is... It's frightening. It's frightening. So you went through this. I feel sorry for those young kids. I I do too. And look, there are days where I I, I read the news and I'm like, man, I I need to strap on a gun and a badge and go out there and do the job and show them how to do it. Then I realize I'm an old man. Exactly. The physical injuries I've sustained during police work are enough. 
The mental injuries, that's another story, but they're still there. And, and yeah. while I'm much better than I used to be, I'm still definitely dinged up for sure. Yeah. And yeah. you, you started dinged up. You started your third week in the academy with your dad being killed. How does yeah. one do that? Yeah. Uh, like I said, I mean, you just kind of put your head down and keep moving forward. I, I'll tell you, um, the academy staff, uh, when I came back after a week, um, inter- interestingly enough, you mentioned Joseph Wombau. I, um, that, uh, the onion field actually came out. Dude, that um, book that tore me up. And the movie, even though it was poorly yeah. done back in the day, still to this day, yeah. I have, yeah. I tear oh, up thinking too. about it. I mean, when I hear the pipes at the end, I just totally lose it completely. Anyway, I went back to the Academy and everything was pretty normal. Nobody really said much about anything, uh, except that they, you know, the, the, my class was wonderful and everything. And they just, you know, they sent flowers and they were at the, at the, you know, Academy staff and, you know, we're at the funeral and all that, but, you know, cause it was a law enforcement funeral, but, but then this uh, in the middle of a class, I think it was on the vehicle code. They stopped and they showed this, the CHP Newhall shooting reenactment video, which every, I imagine every cop in, this, in the United States has seen that video probably 60 times. And they'd already shown it twice, but for no reason, completely inexplicably, they showed that video. And of course, it's very, very violent and bloody and, you know, it's chicken guts and all kinds of stuff. And I know they did that to see how I would react. And, you know, I just, you know, I, it wasn't pretty to watch and it definitely, you know, but I, I was okay. And, you know, uh, I can remember a guy sitting behind me in the classroom kind of rubbing my shoulders going, okay, it's okay. It's okay. And I was actually all right. I was, I was fine. So, I mean, and then after that, um, the staff pretty much kind of left me alone. I mean, the, I had already proven that I could do it by that third week. And so, you know, I just kept going forward and going forward and, you know, somehow I made it to the end. <laughs> the part that amazes me, and I've had um, Kyle Dane Keller's father, Kirk, on the phone, uh, on the show. Uh-huh. And his son was killed in line of duty in a bizarre shooting. And people send me body cam videos, dash cam videos, like I'm some sort of expert. I want to analyze this. And, and they want to know what I think. Did the officer behave correctly? Whatever. I don't watch those things. I don't watch them because yeah. I, I go right into full on like I was there and it's a physiological response. I don't watch them. Are you able to watch right. these videos now? Can you detach yourself from them? I do sometimes. Um, but there are times when I, I just, you know, when I can't watch them at all. Uh, you know, I have seen some for sure. Uh, and uh, but, you know, I don't really seek them out. Here's the thing that, that a lot of people don't realize also. A lot of what we do in law enforcement is is determined by disasters that happened before, especially in Southern California. You had the North North Hollywood Hills bank robbery shootout. That's when patrol rifles started coming into existence, the ARs right. and police work, soft body arm improvements, the, the Austin, Texas bell tower shooting, uh, all those things mm-hmm. that, that your dad's death ultimately saved lives of other officers in the future. And they probably never knew him. They never met you. They don't really don't know, but they got training based. You know, a big one for us was the Miami FBI shootout. Absolutely. That forever changed the way we practice at the range. Just yeah. eliminating the habit of putting spent shells into your hand and into your pocket. Right. 
that was something that happened with the CHP Newhall shooting too. They found empty shells in in the uh, the officers' pockets. And as far as my the sheriff's department did a training video on uh, you know officer survival training video on you know confrontation with edged weapons and. Um, which was really good. And they moved, they interviewed me as part of the, the process of doing this. And they, they moved the um, safety zone back, I think, I think to 15 feet or 20 feet or something. I don't remember what it yeah. was. And then, of course, I've had a few in-service training things uh, with individuals, you know, armed with simulated knives and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure you probably experienced the same thing. You stand there as the officer with a gun in your hand, ready to go, and you know this guy's going to come at you with a fake knife, and he's on you before you can get the first shot Every off. Every time. Even Every 20 time. feet away. People yeah. don't realize how quickly that happens. And they, they also don't realize the damage those, those edge weapons can do. I, I'd rather, I know this is weird, I don't want either to happen to me. I'd rather be shot than stabbed. Absolutely. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a cop thing. I just don't get it. Uh, I want to transition because we're running out of time, Gary. You, yeah. Once you did your career, you went into doing duty in Iraq. You did stuff with 10th Mountain Division, IED defeating. And then you decided to write a book called Outside the Wire, of which a chapter entitled Shots Fired, Officer Down, that pays homage to your, your dad and the experiences on that yeah. horrible day. How did you get motivated to write this book? Well, I've kind of always had sort of a writing bug, um, and I was there. Uh, I can I remember very clearly uh, walking back from the chow hall, and I just heard a story about a young soldier had uh, taken his life. There had been several other suicides, and then right before that, there had been an attempt to murder uh, at another um, uh, forward operating base of I think it was an officer, army officer, and I started thinking, what if a retired detective because I spent 26 of my 30 years was as an investigator. So I'm, I'm an investigator, you know, and what if a guy like me um, got brought into a, a multi-victim homicide case, sort of like a, a whodunit with a bunch of, with a bunch of, of victims because my background since, since the eighties, I've been fascinated by terrorism and from 1999, um, till 2012, I worked counterterrorism um, in some one facet or another. The, the story naturally morphed into a story, a counterterrorism international thriller kind of thing. And, and that's what the story is. It's, it's a contemporary thriller um, that, uh, you know, involves many of the same bad actors and players that, that, uh, the United States is faced with uh, on a continuing and basis. They, uh, and some of these people, today. some of these people, they're not unlike what Hollywood loves to tell you. They're not mental geniuses. They are losers, and they can destroy and harm a lot of people. The name of your book is Outside the Wire. Where can people get more information about you? Websites, all that stuff. Well, as you said, um, my website is um, GaryEdgingtonAuthor.com. My full bio. Um, there's a link to the Officer Down Memorial page, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yep. They have a beautiful write-up on my father, and I suggest everybody visit that. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, my book is available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com and another website called IndieBound. And uh, I have uh, 
Instagram, Gary, uh, capital G, capital E, uh, Edgington Books uh, is my Instagram page. And we have to cut you off on that. Gary, thanks so much for being guests on Law Enforcement Today's show. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, leave an honest review and or rating. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.